0: You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. So some of you got this flyer, okay? Some of you got this flyer in your mail this week. I love this flyer. Let me tell you why I love it, because it's a picture of a lot of things that are wrong with society. Vote for issue four for our police, okay? All I can tell you, if you don't know what issue four is, that's for recreational marijuana. You'll have the opportunity to be walking in and out of stores smelling marijuana smoke. Circle K's already applied for next year. They're convenience stores to be able to sell marijuana in the convenience store, which is just a taste of what you're going to have to come, no pun intended taste. But think about the election. Don't take it lightly. Read the issues. Understand, don't be, uh, uh, you know, they think we're really naive that they're going to tell you, well, you're going to need police. That's why you're going to vote for the police. Believe me, if we do this, if we vote for this in Arkansas, we're going to need all the police we can get. It's a slippery slope. So we're going to be in uh, Acts 27 and 28, but I want to talk to you just briefly. We're going to start next week with a series, and the series is called From Scars of freedom. That may sound a little negative, but, but let me just explain just a little bit before we get rolling on today's lesson. So when I was a kid, I think, uh, I think there were some people over at our house, but I'd retreated to the back, and I'm working on a model car, okay? I'm pretty young. I'm probably not supposed to have this sharp pocket knife that I've got, and I'm trying to get this piece of plastic off, and man, I laid the top of my knuckle open big time, So I looked at that and I thought, well, I got two choices. I can just bleed or I can go tell my mom because this thing probably needs some care. Now, what do you think I did? That is bled. Yep, I wrapped it up, tried to get it to quit bleeding, obviously didn't show my face for a while. But all these years later, there's this little bitty mark. You'd have to look to find it, but there's a little bitty mark right here on the top of my knuckles. And understand, this is like six decades plus ago, and I still have that little mark. Now, the thing about that scar, it doesn't affect me. I might notice it on a rare occasion like today, but it doesn't really affect me. But some of us have other scars that are more visible. You know, there are ones maybe where we've had a surgery or something that's happened or... Whatever I remember a friend in high school, and uh, he and his buddy had gone out to see how fast the car would go. Well, it was on a little skinny road, they lost control, and they hit a bridge. And this doesn't sound very good, but he went through the windshield and back into his seat. So for the rest of his life, he had this huge scar on his face. Now, the point being is that we all have scars. Life leaves scars. Some of them are, frankly, they're not very noticeable. We just kind of go on with life. Others, we're reminded of them pretty often. And then here's the other thing. Sometimes we don't quite let that scar heal, so we we live with this open wound that teams, seems to just continue to be, in a way, a reminder, just something that drags us down. Louis Giglio, you're gonna hear this over the next few weeks because it's a great line, Karen found this. He's an author, a Christian author and speaker. And he says, the enemy wants to define us by our scars. Let me say it again. The enemy wants to define us by our scars. And the enemy, of course, is Satan. Jesus wants to define us by his scars. Jesus wants to define us by his scars. So I encourage you over the next six weeks, starting next week, to be here because what we're going to do is we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about how do you move from scars in your life to freedom in Christ? That's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to, we're going to do the best we can as, as those facilitators, those of us that are going to bring those words, we're going to do the best we can to try to put in, that, in what I call a meat and potatoes style that actually is some usable instruction based on Scripture to help us understand how do we make that move from scars to freedom. So indeed we are in chapter 27 and 28 today. Uh, Paul had the unusual ability to be able to speak as an educated man, to speak to the most intellectual and educated people, but he also understood, just like a lot of the evangelists of that day were, that he could break it down and really talk about the real simple truths that the gospel was based on. Now, we're going to cover two chapters, and so... We're going to have supper before we leave. Actually, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a flyover. So you're welcome to have those, and you'll be able to kind of track down with you, but I'm going to move quickly. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the content of those two chapters just briefly, and we're going to get back down to what is at the end that I think is the message that I want to leave with you today. So here we have this ringside seat for for Paul to watch him in these latter days of his ministry. You know, I think sometimes, I think about that Ecclesiastes verse, there's nothing new under the sun, and so when we, when, when we read and we listen, I'm always reminded, really, that the nature of man hasn't really changed much. Our clothes look a little different, maybe our hairstyles are a little different, but the nature of man has not really changed very much in this 2,000 years since Paul walked the earth. We've seen Jesus discussed in, in this book of Acts, and, and talked about the Messiah, you know, the Old Testament prophesied of that, and some of these people that he's going to be talking to today, they're well versed. They understand about the prophecy of the Messiah. But still, even then and even today, people refuse to recognize that Jesus is the Christ. They, rec- they don't recognize that he's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and he is the Messiah that was promised. By the prophets in the old testament so here you are in chapter 27 and paul he was a roman citizen and what had happened we if you've been kind of tracking with these verses and chapters before he had decided to appeal as a roman citizen because he was a roman citizen as well and they had the right to appeal to caesar so it's kind of like going to the supreme court for us if you will so he had the right to do that and he had appealed to do that so uh, agrippa the king and festus the governor had decided, okay, well, we have to let him do that. And they'd already had a conversation. You know, frankly, if the guy hadn't made appeal, we'd have found him not guilty. But he's asked, so we have no choice. We have to, by Roman law, we have to send him to Rome. So they assigned this guy named Julius. He was a centurion. He wasn't a private. He was an officer. He, he was in charge of a lot of people, very responsible guy. And they told Julius, they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to escort him to Rome and, oh, by the way, get him, get him there safely. Because if you don't, your life will be taken as well. If he loses his life, you'll lose yours. So they boarded the ship, and it's a little bit like a now when you travel by plane, almost always you go from here to get to some hub, and then you get on something else to go to your final destination. Well, that's the kind of the way the ship travel was at that time. So what they were going to have to do, and, and as it points out in chapter 27 and 8, they're going to make some multiple moves from ship to ship in order to get to. Rome, ultimately, with Julius right there by his side. However, as they started out on this this first leg, they ran into some really bad weather. So they were losing time, they weren't getting very far, and and the seas had become very dangerous. I'm talking about life-threatening danger. So Paul warned the centurion, he says, now, you know, we need to stay. They'd moved to a safe harbor to get out of the storm. And he said, we need to stay in this safe harbor. Because let me tell you, if we don't do that, we're going to come put to a disastrous end. In other words, this ship's going to turn over, whatever's going to happen, but we're not going to get to Rome. We're all going to die at sea. And so the centurion, thinking about what he's going to do, he goes to the captain, and the captain says, Ah, nah, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I've been in the sea before. But he opts, So he opts to, instead of listening to what Paul told him, which was godly inspired, He decided what he was going to do is he was going to listen to the ship captain. Well, that didn't work out well for him. The ship was in a big storm, all the people on board were panicky, not Paul, but I'm talking about all the shipmates and stuff that were going there, they had other passengers on board. And so they thought, okay, what are we going to do to to survive at sea? So they're panicky, so they throw the cargo over. They've still got problems, this boat's listing, the ship's listing. And so now what are they going to do? They even take the ship's tackles. In other words, all the things you really needed to do to navigate, to do the sails and all that, they just threw all that weight over too, thinking, you know, we got to do something to save ourselves, Because they were really really feeling that all hope was lost. So after days at sea, Paul prophesied and told him, he went to to the centurion and he said, an angel came to me in the night. And what he said was, he told me this, he said, look, Paul. You are going to stand before Caesar. You're going to have the opportunity to go do what I've told you to do, and you're going to go to Rome, and you're going to stand before Caesar. So you're not going to perish. Take heart. So some of the sailors, of course, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to listen to it. and So they were sneaky fellows. And, you know, I I think a lot of times our nature is we kind of look out for old number one, you know. That's what these guys were doing. So what they did was they said, well, you know, what we need to do is we need to check out the lifeboat. Well, what they were really doing is they were going to scramble over the side. They were going to get in the lifeboat, try to make it to shore, and then everybody on board, other than the sailors themselves, well, they'd be lost. But again, they were looking out for number one. Paul told them, he said, look, these guys are going to try to escape. They're taking the only means we have of being the lifeboat with them, and we're going to die. We're going to perish. And he said, now if they leave, if they get in that boat and they leave, believe me, they will not be saved. They'll die. So Paul told that to to them and he said, but if in fact you guys will trust me, if you'll do what I tell you, we will safely get to shore. I've been promised that. God has promised me that. And sure enough, they did. They stuck a sandbar Boats started coming apart, but they grabbed planks and all the stuff they had, and they all literally, the whole group of them, got to shore safely. They arrived at this island, and I'm moving into 28 now, if you're kind of wa- walking with me at all. But I'm moving into chapter 28. Now, what they do is they arrive at this island called Malta. Some of you would have still heard about it today. And so there's a, they've kind of there, they've met the people from the islander there, they've come out to meet them. So there's, a, there's firewood, and Paul's gathering some firewood. He's going to be of some help. And a viper, a poisonous snake, attaches itself to the arm. Now, it's pretty weird, because if you think about a snake that attaches to the arm, chances are they already got their fangs in you, right? That's the way that works. But the reality is Paul had this poisonous viper that got him by the arm. He just shook it off and went on about what's there. Well, the people saw that. And they saw what happened they thought this guy's going to die but he didn't he didn't die and so all of a sudden they decided this guy's like a god he's something different i mean nobody can survive what he just survived we've had people die of this here on the island so paul met with one of the local leaders one of the local leaders said hey my dad who used to be the big dog here on the island He's in bad shape. He's probably not going to live. And so what he did was he, had, he, he, the, he brought this older leader to him, and Paul healed him. Well, you can imagine on this small island with like everybody watching, and this is like an important guy that he's healed. Then everybody from the island had any kind of the illness. It tells us in chapter 28. They came out, and they came to him, and Paul healed them all. Talk about a miracle... Uh, Session that they had of miracle revival that was one that they had, so after three months they 'd lived peacefully, obviously they were being treated well, they were being fed, people were thankful that they had been there. so after three months, they caught a ride, another ship came in, and they had this is their opportunity again, kind of like the air the airplane scenario I talked about. you know they get on board i 'm sure they paid their fare, and then they said, Hey The seas are favorable. This is the time to go. So they got on and they took off. So after arriving in Rome, then what Paul did, he made a request. He said, there were Jews living there, and so he requested that these Jewish leaders come and meet him because he really wanted to talk to them. So Paul explained that to these Jewish leaders, he said, now these are the charges that have been brought against me. This is why I've appealed and I've come to Caesar. And, he, he, you know, I'm sure probably somewhere in that discourse he told him how many times he'd been beaten with rods and whipped and imprisoned and all the stuff that had happened to him. But he said, these charges have been brought against me, and I want you to know that the charges are not true. So I've exercised my right to come here and stand before Caesar and be able to present my case. Now, once that he was in front of the Jewish leaders, he told them this. He said, the reason I am in chains, the reason I'm a prisoner is because of the hope of Israel. That's why I'm in these chains. Now, understand what the hope of Israel, the hope of Israel, what? It was a Messiah, right? That was the hope of Israel. And he said, so it's about the Messiah. It's my belief in Messiah, my message about the Messiah. That's why I'm in these chains. Well, these Jewish leaders, they were hundreds of miles detached from where Paul and him had been in this New Testament time. And these Jewish leaders were unaware of the charges that had been brought, and they really knew very little about Paul's life. And so what he thought, hey, what a great time to preach. And so he decided, I'll take this time. And he said, he witnessed to him, And Scripture tells us in verse 23 in that, in that second chapter we're talking about today, it said that he preached to him from morning until evening. Not I about staying for supper, but he did. He preached to him from morning until evening. And what he did, this is interesting, and I think there's a lesson in it for us. Because the scripture says that he preached from morning to evening, and what he was doing, he was explaining to them about the kingdom of God. He was explaining to them and, and using the law of Moses, and they would have been well acquainted with the law of Moses. And he was also talking about the words of the prophets, and they would have been well acquainted. These are Jewish, very educated leaders in that community. And he was. it says he was trying to persuade them. Now, what I think is interesting, if you just think about this for a moment, a lot of times you have to talk to people about, to, to get them to relate, you have to talk to them in words and experiences that they understand, okay? If you think about the way Jesus taught, he taught a lot about agricultural things. Just go back about the parables. And why did he do that? Well, because almost all those people... Figured that they either depended on or they got their living working with the land. That's how they stayed alive. So they understood when they talked about various agricultural things. Well, see, he knew these guys knew the Old Testament scriptures. He understood that that they knew that. And he knew that when it came to the law of Moses that they would know what he was talking about. So rather than go off and talk about something about some vision or whatever, he said... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to meet you right where you are. I'm going to talk to you about things that you know to be true, and I'm going to explain to you that what I talked about, this Messiah, this this hope of Israel, this is not a new thing. You've been reading about it. I've seen him. I know about him. I know where he's at. So see, some of it it says in verse 24, it says, Some were convinced and believed, and others began to leave. Again, not a lot different. We have people today. Some listen and believe, and some not so much. In verse 25, Paul told them this. This is what he told the Jewish leaders, because some of them were starting to break up. He said, the Holy Spirit, and they understood the Holy Spirit, a little different than what the New Testament Holy Spirit understanding might be, but they understood that that there was a Spirit of God working. Paul told them that this Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors, okay? So hear me, Jewish leaders that God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to your ancestors, and he spoke the truth. And then what he did is he decided he pulled this scripture that they would have known out of the prophet Isaiah, and he starts to quote from that scripture. Now, in these two chapters that we walk through very quickly, what it's done is help us establish a time, a kind of a setting and a place and where he's at, so Paul really is, is, this is kind of his last stop, okay? He's going to Rome. Frankly, we don't know. We, we, we can kind of make some inferences about what happened to him. And Scripture talks about him being martyred, but we don't really know. Sometimes it's, you know, we think that his head was taken off. Don't really know that. There's not anything that specifically recounts that particular circumstance. But what we know is, is this was the final part Uh, of his ministry here and interestingly what he's talking about isn't hopelessness I mean I just think my gosh if you know some of us go through life and we feel like okay how much other bad stuff can happen to me you know I'm in a bad spot here God, I don't know, but I've been talking to you and you don't seem to show up and I don't know if you're in the other room or you're ignoring me or whatever, but Paul didn't take that, that view. His, his message wasn't a, a message of hopelessness. He was talking about the hope of Israel and the hope that they had. He didn't decide that, well, he, you know, this is probably it for me because he really kind of knew that when he went to Rome... That probably was going to be the tail end of his ministry. He understood that. But yet he was called to go there. But he wasn't either spiritually retiring. And I think sometimes for some of us as we get a little older, we kind of think, oh, I can kind of spiritually retire. I'm going to tell you in Scripture, no, it's not in there. And he wasn't quitting either. He had a job, he had a calling, and it wasn't about whether he was going to work at the truck line, it was about, am I going to influence for God, am I going to help people that are lost be saved? But see, the crux of what I'd like for you to go, to, go away with today is what we're going to find in the 26th to the 28th verses of chapter 28. This is a word of Isaiah written 3,000 years ago, counting from now, 1,000 years before Paul and him were there. But I want you to think about it in this context as we read it. I want you to think about it in the context of today's world. I mean, it's fine to kind of teleport yourself back there if you want to, and that was, that was when he was doing it. But the reality is the Word of God's timeless. And I want you to think about it in, as he talks to us, what he's talking to us in today's time. Verse 26, chapter 28 This is what he's saying, he's reciting this, he's actually quoting this from the book of Isaiah, the sixth sixth chapter. He says this, he said, go to this people and say, you will be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For all this people's heart has become calloused. A lot of familiarity in what we're reading when we think about today. 27, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and they might hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and then turn, and I will heal them. Therefore, I want you to know, and remember, he's talking to this audience that he had of these Jewish leaders, but he's also talking to us. Therefore, I want you to know, in verse 28, that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. Whoo! That's us, by the way, in case you didn't know we're Gentiles. Salvation wasn't restricted to the Jews, but it's sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now, Isaiah, through Paul, Paul taking Isaiah's words, he said it well. Listen to what he's, what he's saying, and I'm just putting a little more in our common vernacular. You may hear it, but you don't understand it. You may see it, but you still don't get it. I'm not necessarily talking to any particular person in this audience, maybe a few, because I'm hoping that we do hear it, and we do see it, and we do understand it. But he's telling these people, but you may see it, but you still don't get it and your heart has become hard. But if you could really hear me, if you could really see me, if you could really understand with your heart and turn, he said, I will heal you. It's pretty similar to what we read in 2 Chronicles. You'll see it up on the board too. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and they pray and seek my face, and they turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Much like we need to be thinking about, much like we need to be doing. See, for most of us, uh, I think a lot of times, we see faith as harder than it really is. Faith, it says in Hebrews 11, It's the certainty of things hoped for. It's when you're hoping for something, but yet inside of you, in your spirit, you're not just hoping for it. You know that that's going to be true. You know it's a truth. Certainty of things hoped for, and it's a proof of things unseen. And for some of you that have a close relationship with the Lord, you understand that because, you know, you can't see him But there is not one doubt in your mind that he exists, not one doubt in your mind that he is your Savior. So Paul was telling this Jewish people about the Gentiles that he was called to preach to, and he's telling us the same thing today. This is what he's telling us. I'm just using Isaiah's words. He said, Listen to what God and his Holy Spirit are saying to you. Listen to what God and his Holy Spirit are saying to you. See what God and the Holy Spirit are trying to show you, to demonstrate you, because some of it we can see. Everything from the beauty he's created to seeing things happen around us that seem to have no other explanation than a God explanation. And he says, he's saying also to open up your heart so that you can understand faith at a heart level. Because if we don't move faith from here down to our heart level, it just kind of stays this intellectual knowledge. We might know of him, but it's different when you actually know him. See, Satan continually wants to, and here's a great example of it. I just, you know, I don't, we don't talk about politics here much, but this is a great example right here. Satan, what he wants you to do is he says, I want you to look over here at this shiny thing I got. And what he does is he distracts you from the life that he wants us to lead. And that's the way this is. Did they, you know, the thing I thought of, that said, Hey, why don't you vote for recreational uh, marijuana so it can screw up everybody here's life? Why don't you do that? Issue four, vote for that. That doesn't make much sense, does it? But if I show you the shiny thing, hey... Don't worry about what's in it. Just vote for it, because if you vote for issue number four, guess what? It's for supporting law and order. That's a noble cause, isn't it? And see, that's what Satan does. He, he dresses it up. He makes us feel better about life and says, Well, you know that's, that's a, you know, that's not all that bad. I mean, look at this. It isn't bad because, oh, Joe, he does worse than me. I'd like to know in my life how many times I've heard people say, when they're trying to justify their behavior, well, but I'm not as bad as he is or not as bad as she is. But again, we understand that's not the ruler we get measured by, right? We get measured by the yardstick of what God tells us and how we're supposed to lead our life. So Paul and his writer Luke are identifying simple key components of living a Christian life. And he, he also wanted you to enjoy the fruits of eternity. His was, was simple, the way he was making it. He wasn't trying to cast some big deal. He said, hey, I'm, I'm working from this reservoir of knowledge that you guys already have, and I'm just explaining to you how that it all fits. The question is, is, can you and I do that today? Can we take these simple things that he's pointed out to us? Can we do that? Can we listen to the Holy Spirit? and understand that what he is revealing to me in my life, we can do it. I'm reminded, you know, that, 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 that saying that be still and know that I am God. I'm not a good being still person. But the reality is what we have to do is we have to figure out when God's speaking to us and when the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. He said, he said this, and it's a question for us. Can you open your eyes and see how much God is revealing things to you? Can you not see God alive and in, in, in working in your life and how He prepares for you? And can you open your heart to our Lord Jesus Christ and invite Him in? So, in our house, as you back in our master bedroom, we have a closet. And on the closet, there's a couple of doors. And what they've done is, in order to kind of make the, the room flow a little better, we have these two small doors that close and, and close the openings. Okay? Now, what you do is, you, if when you go in, you open those doors to expose the doorway so that you can get into the closet. Now, on occasion, I'm lazy. And what I do is I open one door, and I just try to skin it. And I'm telling you, it ain't easy for me to skinny by, okay? But I just open one of those doors, and I just try to skinny by rather than open both of them. I don't know why it's not that hard. I mean, they're both right there. It's not like it's a hard thing. But I still try to do that. I just try to skinny by. But you know what the Lord's telling us? He said, you know what? If you're going to live for me, I don't want you to just skinny by." I want you to open the whole door and take in everything that I have in store for you. That's what he wants. You think about that. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you and we just ask you, Lord, that as we contemplate what you've told us in the book of Acts, but in this last teaching, Lord, that truly are we able to take in, do we, Do we understand what your Holy Spirit wants to do in our life? Do we understand that? Are we willing to see it when it happens? And are we willing to call it what it is when it happens? Sometimes, Lord, you're moving and we see things happening in our life, but we don't seem to give you credit for it. Are we able to look away from those shiny things, Father? Can we look away from those things? And again, keep our eyes on you. There's a song that says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And Lord, are we able to do that? Because that's a life, that's, that's our best life. That's what you have in store for us, Father. And I pray too that our heart is right. If not, we'll get it right. Because it's an eternal decision we make, Lord. I want to see heaven, but I also want to experience all that you have for us here on planet Earth in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.